بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم so last night we left off here in the middle of the third juz inshallah ta'ala i will complete this third juz and try to do a little bit at least maybe up to a quarter of the fourth juz tonight so we are here on surah ali imran Surah Ala Imran, Juz number 3 of Quran Al-Kareem. Surah Ala Imran, verse number 19. Verse number 19. This is a very important verse of Quran Al-Kareem. Again, so just to repeat, all the verses of Quran are important and all the entire Quran should be uh, studied and understood to the maximum extent possible in this month of Ramadan. We are just sharing with you some reflections on certain verses, so at least we have a little glimpse of some of the gems of which every ayah in Quran al-Karim is a gem. Allah SWT says in Quran al-Karim, A'udhu billahi minash shaitan al-rajim, bismillahirrahmanirrahim, inna deena indallahi al-islam. Indeed, the deen, the deen, the religion, the way of life, the epistemology, the concepts, the only deen, in the lahi, in Allah Ta'ala's regard, al-Islam is now, al-Islam is the deen of Islam. So the deen of Islam is the deen of Quran al-Kareem, the deen of the sunnah of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa the deen that understands the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his sifat as mentioned in Quran al-Kareem. That is called al-Islam. Now, what does this mean? This is a recurring theme that has come a lot in Surah Baqarah and a lot in Surah Al-Imran. While no doubt, parts of these two surahs do address the Mushrikeen, but a lot of it is addressed to the Al-Kitab. And some of this is going to come later today also. But maybe let me just explain that now. Is when it comes especially to these three main monotheistic Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. What Allah Ta'ala is explaining in Quran is that original Judaism as brought by the Prophet Nabi Musa was correct and true. And the original Torah that was revealed to him was correct and true. Then Allah Ta'ala sent another Prophet, Nabi Isa and the original Deen, Nasraniyya, Christianity brought by Nabi Isa and the original Injil or Bible slash Gospels, however you will, brought by Nabi Isa was true. And whatever Nabi Isa brought just confirmed the Sadiq what Nabi Musa had brought in the Jewish religion and it upgraded it and updated it and just like that, and at that moment then, in the time of Nabi Prophet Jesus, Nabi Isa Islam, then Christianity was the true deen in the sight of Allah SWT. And it had superseded all previous deens, including Judaism. And just like that, it's been the entire history of humanity. And then the final phase in that history is the coming of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. And now Qur'an al-Kareem and the sunnah teachings and the sharia become the true deen. They confirm the core teachings of what has come before. They upgrade and update and uplift humanity further. Inna al-Islam. And so now, from the advent of Quran al from the advent of Islam, from the time of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the single true path that brings a person completely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now known as the Deen al-Islam. Alright. Then the second thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions is an interesting thing because prior to the message, message of Sayyidina Rasulullah in the Arabian Peninsula and generally in the world, Jews and Christians were differing with one another. 
the Jews were not accepting Nabi Islam. They were not accepting the Injil. Right? So Jews and Christians, the Ahl Kitab, the two monotheistic faiths already had disagreements between and amongst one another. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is explaining. And now some you know, some people try to make this play in Arabic different than ikhtilaf and khilaf, but many times these two words are used synonymously. But if you want to separate it out, khilaf means a divergence of opinion, and ikhtilaf would mean uh, to be at odds, at loggerheads, in argument with one another. So this means that the, those who were given scriptural revelation previously have not differed and disagreed and been at odds and against with one another, except after knowledge came to them. So it means that each of them had the knowledge which would enable them to understand how to resolve the disagreement. So then why were they disagreeing? So there was a baghawa, there was a rebellious nature between them. And some also can translate this as envy, due to an envy that existed between them. And the envy was that each one wanted to be viewed as the last and final religion. East and everyone, each of them wanted to be viewed as the true religion. So the Jews felt that we're the last and final religion, we don't accept Christianity. The Christians feel that we're the last and final religion, we don't accept Islam. And there was already this tussle between them as to which was the last and final religion, the last and final revelation, and the last and final prophet. And then amidst this understanding, then now appears Sayyidina Rasulullah and resolving it that, okay, neither of you are the last and final religion, and the last and final scriptural revelation, and the last and final prophet, because the last and final religion is Islam, the last and final scriptural revelation is Quran al-Kareem, and the last and final prophet is Sayyidina Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu Alright? But it also gives us a teaching, now a more general teaching from this ayah, and again I sort of have to move faster. When the people of ilm, when people of knowledge have a khilaf, that's okay. There may be plurality of interpretation, divergence of opinion. But when people of knowledge have an ikhtilaf, that they become opposed and have hostility and have enmity to one another. And then they start doing takfir. They start, you know, refuting one another to the extent that they even view the other as an unbeliever. What is the root reason for that? It's a rebellious nature. They're rebelling against the other due to their envy and jealousy. Hmm? So it's a, it's a lesson for us also to reflect upon. And now skip ahead to verse 20. And if they now, after having ikhtilaf with one another, they now do ihtijaj, they now argue and dispute with you, Blessed Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa so then you, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa should proclaim to them simply, Aslamtu is al-Islam. Aslamtu. I have submitted. Myself, that is my face, my fa- myself, my expression, any aspect in which I manifest my life and my living. Lillah, only and only entire to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa and those who follow me. And this is why I singled this verse out. This is a beautiful verse because it includes you and me. 
you see the other verses on ground where Allah SWT talks about, uh, for example, وَالَّذِينَ ma'ak, And that's strictly speaking about the Sahaba. And so Allah Ta'ala talks, addresses the Prophet wasallam describes, and those who are with you. And me and you weren't selected for that. But we are from this category. تَبَعْنِي And any and everyone who follows me اِتِّبَعِ Rasul wasallam. So this means Allah Ta'ala in Quran Al-Kareem is telling Sayyidina Rasulullah to proclaim a sentence to those who argue with him that includes everyone who will believe and follow him until the Day of Judgment each and every one of us as well. So it's also a lesson for us that if anybody argues with us, what are we going to say? Aslam to. We will also follow the Sunnah teaching as mentioned in Quran. Prophetic statement, prophetic proclamation. That we have submitted our entire life and every expression and joy of life for the sake of earning the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in that sense, if you want, me and you are mentioned in Quran al-Kareem. As long as we have iman and we are the followers of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we fall in this category, and every such person, whomsoever, everyone who follows me, and he follows Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Alright, let's move ahead to verse 24. So verse 24, Allah Spalata, and in between, you know, Allah Spalata talking about how the Jews and Christians dispute with one another as well, uh, about also, you know, who will uh, go into the fire of Jahannam. So verse 24, ذَلَكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ قَالُوا لَن تَمَسَّنَ النَّارُ إِلَّا أَيَامَ مَعْدُودَاتِ The same ayama ma'dudat, right? That came from Ramadan. So they state, they proclaim, that the, never, ever, ever will the fire of Jahannam even so much as touch us. Except, maybe just for a few days. Hmm? The reason I'm highlighting this is it's, it's very sad. There are some uh, Muslims who, you know, they may have this self-delusional concept that they are somehow, quote-unquote, moderate or modernist or progressive. And they sometimes say this sentence. Now, if a person says this sentence out of the hope of the mercy of Allah Ta'ala, but by viewing themselves as a sinner, that's okay. So, you know, uh, I'm really a bad person, but I have hope in Allah Ta'ala's mercy that He will never ever let uh, the fire of Jahannam touch me. That is fine. As a dua, as a hope in the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Right? But sometimes some people, they say this as a creedal statement, all, almost as if it's like their aqidah. As it, almost as if it's a fact that no, no, because I'm... A, and what they mean by that is this deluded concept of some type of secular humanist goodness. So because I'm a good person, not because of Allah's mercy, that's not what they're saying. It's very different that no, I'm not worthy of Jannah, but Allah is so merciful, I have hope in His mercy that He will never let me enter the fire of Jahannam. Right? I'm not even doing the ayam ma'ad do that part yet. There's another group of people who think that no, because I'm good, and because of my intrinsic innate goodness, I know that Allah Ta'ala will never send me to the five Jahannam. That is actually a type of arrogance. Just like they would critique a person who was arrogant because of their ibadah. And if they did a lot of worship, they felt a sense of entitlement. They would call such a person religiously arrogant. Just like that, if a person views themselves as great because of their akhlaq and their adab and their character, and therefore they view that... They take it to the level of some type of entitlement that's also a type of ujub and a vanity and conceit and arrogance. 
But, the, but then if you bring in the ayam ma'dudat now, it's a strange thing to say that somebody would think that, okay, I will never enter the five janam except for a few days. So then that, what they meant was that we are destined to be the people of Jannah because maybe we are the chosen ones. And okay, even if we even if we oppose the Prophet or do something wrong, and even then, maybe even if we have to go to Jahannam, it'll just be for a few days. This is also a wrong way of thinking. And so for us as an Ummah, we should never think that, okay, well, let me do that sin. Ultimately, I'll still go to Jannah. No, no, we should never think like that. The reality is, forget ayam, no person even has the ability to withstand the fire of Jahannam, even for a fraction of a millisecond, one lamha. And that's what we should think. Alright? Okay. Go down now to verse uh, 26. Qul, so proclaim, and this is a kind of dua. Allah Ta'ala is teaching Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Malikul Mulk That Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is the sovereign of all dominion He is the master of all possession Right? Tu'til mulka man tasha'u wa tanzi'ul mulka mimman tasha'u You can bestow dominion, sovereignty, power, authority to whomsoever you will, to whatever extent you will and you can withdraw it and take it away that same dominion and sovereignty from whomsoever you will. So now a lot of, don't think that this just means kingdom and kingship. It can be the authority of a parent. It can be the respect that the parent has in the hearts and the eyes of the children. Right? That's also a type of mulk. That's also a type of dominion. It can be some level of financial ability. There are many elements of it that mean you may have. It might be a sense of respect amongst the people. Allah Ta'ala can grant it to whomsoever He wills and He can take it away from whoever He wants. What to izzu man tashaa'u man And you can bestow izza and honor and dignity on whomsoever you will and you can humiliate and abase whomsoever you will. Biyadikal khair. And indeed in the power of your decree and decision lies each, every and all khair, all virtue and goodness. Innaka, indeed you, ala kulli shay'in kadir, you are absolutely powerful upon each and every matter, thing and affair. Alright? So this is a dua to make to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And it continues, Tulujul Layla bifin Nahari, that you cause the night to enter the day with Tulujul Nahari fin Layli, and you cause the night, uh, you cause the day to enter the night, means you have power over the solar system, over the earth, over massive bodies. And you bring forth the living from the dead, and you bring forth the dead from the living. And you bestow risk, provision, and sustenance upon whomsoever you wish. Without any reckoning, without any measure, without any accounting. Okay, now, interestingly here, you don't, this, is a, this is like a good preface to making dua. So if you want to make dua to Allah Ta'ala for something, this is a good introductory paragraph to recite in your duas, and then you make dua for whatever you want. Alright? So this is why I wanted to highlight this verse. Verse 28. لا المؤمنون الكافرين أولياء من دون المؤمنين So many times people mistranslate this and they say that Allah Ta'ala is saying that let the believers not take disbelievers as friends. So you understand there are different words in the Arabic language. One word is Rafiq. One word is Wali. 
One word is Siddiq. These are three intense words. They don't mean friend in English. Rafiq means your intimate, lifelong companion. This bosom companion, right? Okay. Siddiq means, uh, you know, the best way you can think is Sayyidina Abu Bakr, a Siddiq who? A one meaning of Siddiq was he was extremely true and he testified to the truth. And the second is that he was the truest companion of the Prophet Another word is Khalil, like Sayyidina Rasulullah said, that a person will end up on the deen of that person who they take as their intimate friend. Or it is also one of the names of Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam, Khalilullah. And the fourth word is Wali. Right? These are very intense relationships. It's not what English you would call friend. What in English you call friend, you can be friend with uh, non-Muslims. That's not an issue. Right? It's talking about a level of dependency, a level of absolute, utter dependency, reliance and trust. And it's also talking about mm, sort of taking from that person. Right? And so sometimes this can be translated awliya as protectors, allies. Alright? Uh, and this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. Don't take them, non-believers, min al-mu'mineen, instead of believers. Right? But why? Because that shared belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will create a bond between the, you. And the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, although practically many times it's not the case, but theoretically and ideally, will mean that that person will treat you justly and fairly and therefore they're worthy wali they're worthy to make your ally your protector all right and there may be another person who may be of good character but because they don't believe entirely in Allah subhanahu or they don't believe in the entire Quran so they want their concept of fairness and justice won't be entirely correct and therefore when you take such a person as a wali as an ally protector they may betray you or they may disappoint you or they may hurt you or they may harm you all right so if I told you that only take a person who is a credentialed, capable, qualified medic as a doctor, you would understand that, yes, there's a certain qualification. Alright, so Allah SWT is making it clear here that in that relationship known as who you will take as your wali, the plural that is awliya, right, uh, that should be a person of iman. Another way you can understand this is, and this is going to come later in Quran al-Kareem, the teachings of nikah. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants that we should. In fact, I think it came before, but maybe I skipped it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran that you should not, you know, a'jab, you should not become overly impressed or awestruck by the beauty of a non believer. Rather, you should still marry a believer. Alright? Uh, and so nikah is also a notion of your spouse is also a wali or a deep and intimate friend. And anybody who does that, and it takes a non-believer as their wali, in place of and instead of believers. Then they have no share, no connection, no ta'luk with Allah subhanahu on any matter and affair, except that you should just fear from them that, that the wrong person that you took is your wali. Tukat means you should fear from them a threat, you should be wary and cautious from them. 
But even more importantly, Allah Ta'ala says, nafsa. But Allah Ta'ala even more importantly warns you to be wary and fearful of Allah Ta'ala Himself. And indeed, because to Allah Ta'ala ultimately is the final return. Alright? Uh, then Allah Subhanahu explains, "Kul that whatever you try to conceal, if even if you try to conceal whatsoever is in your breast, or you disclose it, Allah Taala knows it. In any case, Allah Subhanahu knows every single matter and affair in all of the." Uh, and I've already explained this to you, the strata of creation and on earth. Wallahu ala kulli shayin kadir. Indeed, Allah SWT is all-powerful over each and everything. Allah Ta'ala ends this uh, three ayah sort of section 28, 29, 30. If you look at the end of 30, Wallahu ra'ufum bil ibad. And I explained this to you again uh, earlier that Allah SWT ra'uf means Allah Ta'ala is tenderly, mercifully kind and gentle to his ibad. Ibad can be translated as creatures, that would mean all humanity. Ibad can be translated as those who have accepted their reality is that they're abd, they're slaves of Allah SWT. And then ibad can be from amongst those who have accepted that they're his slaves, they're also Abid they're his worshipful servants and slaves verse 31, a very important 31-32 set of ayat about the sunnah Qul in kuntum proclaim to them Nabi Akareem that if indeed you believers love Allah subhanahu ta'ala that you should follow me second it can be addressed to the Ahl Kitab because Ahl Kitab do love God and so the Jews and Christians are being addressed that if you truly love God, you should follow me. Why? Because Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu is Mahbubullah, is the beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is the prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been sent by God as your prophet and messenger, has been sent by God, the one you claim to love and we accept and acknowledge Allah is accepting in the Quran, that you do love God and therefore you should follow the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What will happen? Yuhbibkum Allahu Allah ta'ala himself will love you and he will forgive for you all of your sins. So it's initially addressed to the Ahlul Kitab. Generally, all of Quran is addressed to believers. So I've explained it to you in both ways. Wallahu ghafuru rahim. And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is by His very nature the being who is all forgiving and all merciful. Kul atiullahu wa rasul. So proclaim to them that they must obey Allah ta'ala and they must obey the Messenger. Sallallahu alayhi wa Verse 35 onward is the beautiful story of Sayyidah Maryam radiallahu ta'ala anha. Alright? And I think, you know, many times Christians are even amazed. And this is why, uh, by the way, now uh, the surah is named Surah Allah Imran because of these passages, verses and passages coming. And I think Christians are, would be amazed if they knew uh, the, the intense uh, rank that say the Maryam Radatana has been given by Allah Ta'ala Quran Al-Kareem. إِذْ قَالَتِ امْرَأَةُ إِمْرَانَ So this is verse number 35 onwards. إِذْ قَالَتِ امْرَأَةُ إِمْرَانَ so when the wife of Imran, who is the mother of Sayyidah Maryam Radhanha, she turned to Allah Ta'ala in dua. So another very good dua. Rabbi inni nadhartu laka ma fi batni muharraran fatakabbal minni. That, O oh my Rabb, I dedicate to you, I pledge to you, whatsoever is in my womb. All right? Uh, entirely to be dedicated to your service minni. so please accept that from me so 
I'm not saying every mother necessarily may be able to make this dua literally, but yes, I would say that every mother should be able to make this dua literally. Alright? In the first sense I meant that not literally maybe you will not dedicate your child entirely exclusive to the worship of Allah Ta'ala because that is something maybe not every parent is able to do. But literally, yes, that you would have the need that you want to dedicate your life, your your child, that they should spend their life obeying Allah Subhanahu Taala. Maybe they may have a profession; they may not always be worshiping or serving Deen, but they will be the slave and loving and devout and devoted and obedient slave to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. All right. So uh, the mother of Sayyidina Maryam she made this dua to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Right. Then. Uh, this statement comes afterwards which again some people have misunderstood and misinterpreted so then immediately after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, so she continues the dua that accepted for me indeed you Allah ta'ala are all hearing and all knowing and when she delivered that which was in her womb or belly قالت Rabbi. Inni wadatuha untha that oh, she proclaimed that oh my rub, what I've managed to give birth to, what I've delivered, is a girl. And Allah Ta'ala is saying, Wallahu bima wadat. And Allah Ta'ala knows better what she delivered. In other words, there's a sweet thing Allah Ta'ala is saying that look, you don't have to tell me. You don't have to address me and say, Oh my rub, I gave birth to a girl. Allah knows best what you gave birth to. Right? And indeed the male is not like the female. Alright, some people interpret it, and Allah Alam, I mean, I'm going to suggest it's not the best interpretation, but Allah knows best. Some people interpret this verse by saying that she thought what was in her belly was a boy, and what she wanted to uh, dedicate to Allah Ta'ala was a boy, and she's surprised or in some sense let down that she's been given a girl. Allah Alam, this would require an understanding of this woman which none of us can claim to have. A second interpretation, not so different from this, but I still think a better one, is that at that time, it was normally men, boys, who were given to worship entirely in the masjid, right? And that's what she thought, that if I have a boy, I will dedicate him to worship, like Zak- the Nabi Zakaria salam. And so that's coming, you're going to see. The same word that is used for the place where Nabi Zakaria salam worships, Al-Mihrab, is going to be the same word that is later going to be used for Sayyidah, So perhaps up to this point, women were not being dedicated uh, in that sense to full-time worship. So it's not that she felt a, man, a boy was better than a girl, intrinsically, or you know, people today who try to take on quote feminist readings of Quran, they overly gender the readings of verses sort of almost searching for a gender bias which they can then critique and suggest that the Quran is patriarchal by its very nature third possibility is uh, she is simply uh, third possibility uh, and this is actually the interpretation uh, preferred by Sheikh Ashraf Ali Tanvim that this phrase, وَلَيْسَ ذَكَرُكَ unta is not actually been said by Sayyidah Maryam Radha Sorry, Ummi Maryam Radha Her statement ends by this. All she said is that, Oh my Rabb, I have uh, 
given birth to a girl. Wallahu a'lamu bima wada'at and Allah Ta'ala is saying, Allah Ta'ala knows best and then Allah Ta'ala is saying, walaysa dhakaruka al-unta and no male is like a female. And they take the Arabic alif lam al on the untha, and there is no boy alive like the girl you have given birth to. There is no male ever created who will be as, uh, you know, wonderful as Sayyidah Maryam radiallahu anha. All right, uh, and so that Allah subhanahu wa telling her that you know you wanted, uh, you thought you would have a boy and you would dedicate, but little do you know what you've given birth to is infinitely greater. Well, in me, and then Allah Ta'ala says, and indeed I, Allah subhanahu Ta'ala, says, and indeed I, Allah subhanahu wa I've named her Maryam. I have named her Maryam. Well, in me, and I, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Sorry, this is uh, the this is the this is the issue uh, here in this uh, passage. When is it the words of uh, Ummi Maryam, and when is it the words of Allah Subhanahu Wa So there's a lot of iltifat here, changing of the person. Better here, it's rather that it's the mother. She says that I named her Maryam, and I seek refuge uh, for her in you, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, regime, and for all of her offspring from Shaitan. All right. And this is uh, something that it appears that very quickly the mother realized, right, that the baby is special. And any human being who is special is going to be attacked by shaitan. Anybody who is being special, their offspring and their descendants will be attacked by shaitan. Because this starts right with the very first most special human being, Sayyidina Adam so she makes dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is also a dua a mother can make, right? That the greatest concern that the mother should have is that her child and her offspring, her entire, any and all descendants and progeny that may come onward from her child, if Allah ta'ala so wills, should be protected from a shaitan and rajim, from the spurned and rejected shaitan. Allah ta'ala accepted her. Her Rabb accepted her and Hassanin with a noble and virtuous and excellent and beautiful acceptance. Alright. And let me go a bit faster. So then Allah SWT will discuss the story of Sayyidina Zakaria salam. So Sayyidina Zakaria salam was the Nabi of the time. The Nabi of the time. And now Sayyidina Maryam has she has grown up and she's a young woman and she's worshipping, you know, dedicated, you know, you can say young woman, maybe in her earlier, mid or late teens. And she's dedicated to worshipping Allah SWT in the mihrab. And I want to talk about this. And whensoever Zakaria, Nabi Zakaria Sam entered upon uh, her, he entered, the, visited her, you can say, in Al-Mihrab, the prayer niche. He would find that she would have risk, she would have sustenance. He would ask that, Oh Maryam, where did you get the sustenance? Kalat she replied, Huamin Indillah, that this is from Allah Swantala. In the Laha Yarzukuman Yesha Ubihere Hisab indeed Allah Swanta can give provision and sustenance to whomsoever he wants without any sub. So Nabi Zakaria Sam, he's a prophet, he should, he would already have understood this. But apparently at that moment when he would enter into the prayer, so she's already an Al Mahrab in the prayer niche, he's coming from outside into the prayer niche. So this is 
a concept. Number one, Al-Mahrab. And there were some masajids that used to be built that they used to make small niches around the main prayer hall so that when the person prayed Salah in Jama'ah, they would pray in the congregation. They would stand in one big hall in unison and in unity with the Ummah. But then later, before, after, they would go into the prayer niches and they would engage in their own solitary worship of Allah SWT in a khalwa, in focus. Alhamdulillah, I saw one nice masjid like that. It's one of the things that should be revived, if you ask me, in the building of, and designing of the masajid. And a woman, and a man for that matter, at home, can also make some type of prayer niche, a room, a corner dedicated for salah. Why? Because when you enter the al-mihrab, when you enter that niche or place or space or chamber, however you want to call it for prayer, you enter the zone. You enter the zone of ibadah. And when you enter the zone, and when the Nabi, he comes from outside that zone, Nabi Zakaria Sam, he's wondering where did you get the food? Because he's looking at the level of asbab, that everything happens through causes and means. And say the Maryam, she's inside the zone, she's inside the mihrab, she's thinking about Allah Ta'ala, musabib al-asbab, the being who transcends all means and causes. And she says he can give you risk from wherever you want. Now a beautiful teaching that comes immediately afterwards is as soon as she says this, so she's like almost, you know, like the teacher of the Anbiya here. She's teaching Nabi Zakaria al-Islam a thing or two. So when he learns this lesson from her, Hunalaka, there and then, Da'a Zakaria Rabbahu. Sayyidina Zakaria al-Islam, he turned to his Rabb in Dua. Qala, and he said, Rabbi habli min ladunka dhurriyatan tayyiba. That, oh my Rabb, bestow upon me from your own self, from your own power, from your own degree, dhurriyatan tayyiba, pure and noble offspring. Inna ka dua Indeed, you hear dua. So this is a perfect dua for a parent, father or mom to potential father or mom first to make this dua and then when they find out that they're expecting to make the other dua of uh, Umm Maryam Radatana. So two very good duas here. Alright. Then uh, Then the angels, they, when did they choose to give him the answer? When? He, Nabi Zakaria, was standing, yusalli, and praying, fil mihrab, in the mihrab. So again, when he was in the zone and he would understand this, right? Then the angels came and told him, but, uh, so they came and told him what? Anna allaha yubashiruka bi yahya musaddikam bi kalimatim minallahi wa sayyidam wa husuram wa nabiyam minasadihin. Allahu Akbar kamira. And he, Allah SWT is giving you glad tidings of Yahya. He will be your son. Okay, and Yahya will confirm the word from Allah Ta'ala, means he'll be a prophet, a rasul, a messenger. Wasayyidan, and he will be noble. Wahsuran, he will be chaste and pure. Munabiyan, and he will be a prophet. Minas Salihin, he will be from the righteous, virtuous servants and slaves of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. But even though Nabi Zakaria was in Salah, in the Mihrab, in the zone of worship, in the prayer chamber, he tells Allah Ta'ala, Allah, Rabbi, Anna yakunu li ghulamun. Just the same way he asked, remember the same words he asked her. Anna laki hada, where did you get this? He's asking Allah Ta'ala, Rabbi, oh my Rabb, Anna yakunu li ghulamun. That, oh my Rabb, from how will I get this son, this Yahya? When I reach old age, Ramrati Akir and my wife is, you know, beyond the uh, ability to give birth and she's barren, right? Allah, 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replied, or Kala, you can say the angel replied, Thus does Allah ta'ala do whatever He wants. So another reply could have been, Nabi Zakaria, you're the one who made dua for this. And you're the one who made dua for this when Sayyidina Muhammad taught you the lesson. What? In the Hisab, he can bestow upon someone without any hisab, whether that is fruit and food and nutrition and sustenance, or it's a son to you. Hmm? Uh, so this is a very interesting passage. There's a lot you know that goes on. It's a beautiful set of ayat of Quran al-Kareem about Sayyidina Maryam Anha. Let's go a bit forward, verse 42. With Kalatil Malaika too, when the angels when the angels said, Ya Maryam, that O Maryam, Inna Allah astafaki wa tahharaki wa astafaki ala nisail alameen. So it comes twice. And Allah Ta'ala has specially selected you. And He has purified and made you chaste. And again they say He has selected you over and above all. All of the women of all of the worlds, all of the feminine of the human species, all of the feminine of the jinn species. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Hmm? This is the status and maqam of Sayyidina Marim Radha And the reason Taharaki to make her know that she's been she will be pure and chaste and immaculate. Alright? Uh, and so she has been chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Khair. Uh, Oh, yes, I wanted to show you one more thing about this. Uh, verse 44. That this is from the... Uh, Allah Ta'ala is telling Sayyidina Rasulullah that this is from the information that is unseen that I, Allah Ta'ala, in all my might and attributes, you know, the royal we, have sent wahi we are revealing unto you, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Okay. Here, then if you go to 45 onward is now the story of Nabi Isa alayhis Again, a whole group of angels when they said, Ya Maryamu, O Maryam, Inna Allaha yubashiruka bikalimatim min. So the same words that they used to Zakaria alayhis about Yahya, that need Allah Ta'ala has given you glad tidings of a kalimatim min. A kalima from him, a word from him. Now what does this mean? Different ulama have given different explanations of this. One meaning is that the way Nabi Isa will be born is through the power of the command of the kalima kun for yakun. Second meaning is that Sayyidina Isa is kalimullah, kalimullah, like he is masihullah. Right? Here, Kalimullah is normally used for Nabi Musa salam, uh, But this notion of Kalima, that he will bring a, uh, a word from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He will bring a scriptural revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next at- attribute that is mentioned that his name will be Al-Masih, the Messiah, Isa ibn Maryam, and he will always be known by who his mother is. He will always be known as Isa, son of Maryam. 
Jesus, son of Mary, Isa ibn Maryam, Isa ibn Maryam, wajihan fid dunya wal akhirah. He will be honored and graced in this world and in the akhirah and the hereafter. Wamin al muqarrabin, and he will be from those who Allah Taala brings intimately near to him. All right. And then if you go to 47, then she asks Allah Ta'ala now, Qalat, so it's very similar to the words that say the Zakariya, Nabi Zakariya said, Qalat, Rabbi, anna yakunu li waladum, walam yamsasni bashar, that, oh my Rabbi, how is it possible that I will have a boy, I will give birth to a baby child, when no man has ever, ever laid a hand on me, no man has ever touched me. All right? And Allah Ta'ala then replied, Thus Allah Ta'ala will create howsoever, whatsoever He wills. Whenever Allah decrees something, He merely has to say to it, Be, and it becomes. Alright? This is a very important thing I want to explain. That divine power transcends science. So every human being other than Nabi Adam and Nabi Isa was born through a scientific process. And that scientific process itself was create, designed and created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But even when Allah ta'ala designs and creates something, His own power, His qudra, transcends that which He has designed and created, transcends any and all means and causes, transcends all occasionalism, and Allah ta'ala expresses that divine power in His creation of Nabi Adam islam and in His creation of Nabi Isa salam. Then Allah Ta'ala mentions about Sayyidina Isa Alayhi what will he do? And this is something, and sometimes I think the great, one, of the, one, one great way to do interfaith dialogue, but in sort of dawah on Christians, is to show them the prophetic understanding of Jesus Alayhi you know, the Quranic understanding of Isa Alayhi as a prophet. And that, that is very exalted. And you don't need to believe in Trinity or attach any, ascribe any divinity to Isa Islam or view him as the Son of God for him to have a maqam. Nabi Isa, yani Jesus as a prophet itself is a high maqam. In fact, is the highest rank and stature in all of creation after Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And the same words that Allah Ta'ala uses for the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Quran, Allah Ta'ala is going to use for Nabi Isa Islam in Quran. For example here, وَيُعَلِّمُهُمْ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةَ وَالْتَوْرَاتَ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ And this is the same thing Allah Ta'ala said about the Prophet that وَيُعَلِّمُكُمْ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةَ So Allah Ta'ala is saying that Nabi Isa Islam will teach them what? Al-Kitab, the scriptural revelation, Wal-Hikmah, wisdom, and Torah, and Injil. He's going to reteach the Torah that Musa Islam brought. He's going to teach the Injil, the Bible, and the Gospels. He's going to teach Al-Kitab. Now, what does that mean? So, some say Al-Kitab means the eternal tablet of Lahul Mahfuz on which is inscribed Quran. So, he's not going to teach Quran and Arabiyyah. But he will teach the teachings of Quran because the teachings of Quran are the true teachings, the, the are what was the true teachings of the Torah and Jail. And hikmah is the wisdom, is the way of living. 
And here's another place where I told you before the ayah ends, but the sentence doesn't end. The sentence carries over to the next ayah. And he will be, Allah Ta'ala will make Nabi Isa a rasul, a messenger. Israel to the Jews, to the children of Israel literally, means to the Jews. Alright? So there in the same way that Allah Ta'ala has sent Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a rasul, as a messenger and prophet to all the Ahl Kitab, to the Christians and the Jews, just like that previously. So it, it's what, what it's a subtle thing. What Allah Ta'ala is doing is addressing the Christians, inviting them to accept Hidayah and saying, Look, Nabi Isa Islam was a prophet sent to the Jews from your Rub, and they were meant to accept him. And that's your complaint about the Jews, that they did not accept. But you're now committing the same mistake. You're, now you are not accepting. Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Alright? Okay, 50. Verse 50 is then uh, Nabi Isa Islam himself uh, explaining uh, to the Jews. And I've come to confirm the truth of that which is already uh, present before me in, in, with you from the Torah and to make halal, to make lawful and permitted for you part, some of those things that were previously forbidden upon you and I've come to you with a sign from your Rabb. And fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and obey me. So this is the same thing that Sayyidina Rasulullah came with. And this is, we understand this, and the Sharia can change. So the aqaid, the creed, the beliefs of deen and religion are the same, but the laws, what is halal and haram can change. So what was halal and haram in the Jews was different from original Judaism. What original truly revealed Judaism was different from what is halal and haram in original true revealed Christianity. And that will be different slightly from the halal and haram from original everlasting all true Islam. And the concept that, that just like we did earlier that you have to obey the Prophet Muhammad this concept of itaat of the Rasul, obedience to the Prophet and Messenger, that is here in the same teaching of Nabi Isa Allah Indeed, Allah Ta'ala, the one and only Allah is my Rabb. Isa Islam saying, وَرَبُّكُمْ and your Rabb, O Bani Israel, فَعْبُدُوهُ Therefore all of you, Bani Israel, you should worship Him and Him alone. هَذَا سِرَاتُ مُسْتَقِيمُ Indeed, this is a straight path. So remember I told you, the sentences and words are going to be the same. Sirat al-Mustaqim, these are all the same words that Sayyidina Rasulullah uses in Qur'an and Allah Ta'ala uses in Qur'an for our deen. Alright. Here, verse 54, a general teaching. They planned, they schemed, they plotted. And Allah Ta'ala planned and schemed and plotted. And indeed, Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala is the best of planners. So this is also part of the du'as a person should make. If you feel that people are plotting and planning and scheming against you, you should turn to Allah Ta'ala, make istighfar, make du'a, and and express the statement uh, that they may plan, but Allah Ta'ala also plans, and indeed Allah Subhanahu is the best of planners. Verse 55. <laughs> Verse 55. 
This is Allah Ta'ala explaining a very important thing about what He is going to do later with Nabi uh, Isa salam. Alright? And this is the notion of Allah Ta'ala raising up Nabi Isa salam to Him. And then later Allah Ta'ala will send back Nabi Isa salam in what is known as the second coming of Jesus. Right? Uh, the second coming of Nabi Isa salam, He will come towards the end of time. And he will then defeat, along with Imam Mahdi salam, a force of evil and disbelief known as Dajjal. Right? So this is a very important ayah of Qur'an al-Kareem, especially for those, unfortunately, there are some people who have denied uh, the return of Nabi Isa salam. So what happened in history was that as Nabi Isa alhamdulillah kept preaching da'wah, kept preaching da'wah, the enmity of a select group of Jews, and the Jews of today bear no guilt for that, a enmity of a select group of Jews who did not believe in him, in which way? That they knew him to be true, but they did not want to believe in him out of envy, out of wanting to retain this privilege and preferred status of being the chosen one for themselves. So they made a plan to murder Nabi Isa salam. Alright? And so when the time for their plotting of murder, and remember what just came before, and they plot, but Allah Ta'ala plans, and Allah Ta'ala is the best of planners. So they plotted to murder and kill Nabi Isa but Allah Ta'ala had plotted and planned something else. So the verse before is itself a refutation of people. So for example, there's a particular modernist scholar in Pakistan, Javed Ghamdi, who has this extremely profoundly incorrect and false interpretation of these verses, and he also believes uh, and tries to teach people that Nabi Islam is dead and will never return now the billah. So it's very clear. Allah Ta'ala, even the verse before, that they plan and Allah Ta'ala plans. Means obviously Allah's plan is going to be different from their plan. Their plan was to kill and Allah's plan was something different. What was Allah's plan? That's what he has explained in verse number 55. Allah's plan was what? Was to raise up Nabi Isa salam. To raise up Nabi Isa salam. <coughs> So this is what it means. I will take you and raise you to myself. So now, Nabi Isa from that moment up till his return has been alive, not in a grave, not on earth, has been alive living in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like Nabi Adam salam used to be initially in the presence of Allah ta'ala. So again, a commonality between the two of them. Right? Both of them were non-scientifically born. Both of them were born out of the command and wish and will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And both of them spent a life, a period of life, in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prior to the Day of Judgment and Jannah. Alright? So right now, he is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right now, Nabi Isa the Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, is alive in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? وَمُتَّهِرُكَ and I purify you means that I will save you from the plotting of those who are uh, disbelievers. Alright? And I will make those who follow you ittabi'uka. Remember the same word we had for the Prophet He said that those who follow me. I will make those who follow you superior to those who disbelieved all for all times until the Day of Judgment. 
So this is also a teaching that for those who truly follow and believe Isa is a prophet, Allah Ta'ala has promised in Quran that He will make them folk, He will make them triumphant over all of those who disbelieve in who? Disbelieve in Sayyidina Isa salam. All the way until Yom This shows the incredible rank of the Prophet Jesus salam, in our deen in, 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 in the, in, in, as mentioned in Quran al-Karim. Alright? Here. Now, go to uh, verse 59. Allah Ta'ala is using this to negate the fact that Isa Islam should be viewed as a trinity or be attributed any godhood or divinity. Inna mathala Isa indallahi ka mathala Adam. Now look, you are suggesting that Isa Islam is part God because he was born without a father, but you don't view that about Adam Islam and he was born without a father and a mother. So he is just like Adam salam, that he was created through the power and will and wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but that doesn't mean that he gets any divinity any more than Nabi Adam salam, gets any divinity or godhood alright go now to verse 64 no, no, new topic. Kul ya ahl al-kitabi ta'alo ila kalimatin sawa'im bainana wa bainakum. Kul proclaim to them Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the Jews and Christians who are living at your time. But by extension, O believers, you may also in certain cases, and if it's similar to that, proclaim to the Jews and Christians the people of Scripture who are living at your time. What? Ta'alo ila kalimatin sawa'im bainana wa bainakum. Come and join and agree and unite upon a kalima literally means a word means a statement and understanding that is actually common and equitable between us and between you what Allah na'buda illallah of tawheed of monotheism embrace the Abrahamic reality of the three monotheistic faiths join and unite with us at least on this notion of monotheism that we will only and only worship do ibadah of none other except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we will not associate any partners to Allah ta'ala in any way and that includes attributing divinity to the Prophet Jesus alright we will not do that the arbab is plural of rab we will not some of us take some others of us as lords as rabub min dunillah other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whether that may be some false elevated concept of clergy or sainthood or whether that is elevating Nabi Isa as a rub and attributing any lordship or godship to him. Alright. In but if they turn away and reject this call, Fakulu, then all all believers you should proclaim to them, Fakulushadu Beanna Muslimun, at least then, then you should bear witness that we are the ones who have truly submitted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. Then in verse 67, Makana Ibrahimu Yehudiya wala Nasaniya. That Ibrahim was neither a Jew nor a Christian because he predates Musa Isam and Isa Isam. He predates the Torah and the Injil. So Jews and Christians are both claiming him. But it doesn't make sense. He's neither Jew nor Christian. So what is he? Walakin kana Hanifa Muslima. He was Hanif. He was intrinsically true and pure and found Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his heart. And he's Muslimah in the sense that he submitted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and also obviously he is not from the polytheists and the idolaters, those who associate partners with Allah subhanahu Indeed, those who have the greatest primacy and the best claim to be the ones who follow Ibrahim are indeed those who truly follow him. Again, the term ittibar for the Anbiya. And this Nabi, this Prophet, Muhammad and those who believe in you and me, we are the ones who have the greatest claim to be called Abrahamic. We are Ibrahimi. Wallahu waliyul mu'mineen. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the wali of the believers. Okay, now go forward to verse number 76. Now, a totally new topic. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about covenants and the importance of fulfilling pledges that we make. The importance of sticking to what we say and honoring our commitments. Balman awfa bi ahdihi that whomsoever and there's you know mentioned in the in, in the verses earlier about uh, commitments and Allah even tells the Prophet that you can entrust amanat or trusts uh, with certain members of the Ahl Kitab. So here in verse 76, uh, whomsoever fulfills their covenant, honors their pledges, fulfills their commitments, and fears Allah subhanahu wa taqwa, inna laha yuhimbul muttaqeen, indeed Allah subhanahu loves the muttaqeen. And now remember again, Ramadan is what? La'allakum tattakun. So Ramadan is la'allakum tattakun, the month in which you get taqwa. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, فَإِنَّ اللَّهِ يُحِبُّ الْمُتَّكِينَ Indeed, Allah Ta'ala loves the muttaqin. So it means that Ramadan is the month to become the beloved of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Ramadan is the month of mahbubiyyah. Ramadan is the month to seek and attain and aspire and embrace our reality of trying to become the beloved of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Right. In verse 77, we have a repeat, repetition of what we had done earlier, that Allah Ta'ala will not speak to them. And here we have the extra word, وَلَا يُكَلِّمُهُمُ اللَّهُ وَلَا يَنْذُرُوا إِلَيْهِمْ Allah Ta'ala will not gaze upon them on يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَلَا يُزَكِّهِمْ And He will not purify them. And so this is a great torment of those who disbelieve in Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Verse 79, Allah Ta'ala is also again refuting the concept of Trinity in the sense that you should worship Christ that know that Nabi Isa Islam can never be worshipped. You can only worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to claim that Nabi Isa Islam said that himself, that's impossible. Why? Verse 79. It does not befit, it cannot be permitted for any human. Such that Allah Ta'ala, any human that Allah Ta'ala has bestowed upon them, scriptural revelation and wisdom and bestowed upon them prophethood. And then thereafter, they purportedly say to the people, Kunu ibadan li, that, oh, you should be worshippers of me, Mindunallahi, instead of Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. No. 
There's no way they could ever say that. Walakin, however, what any such person, every such person, which such which person, the person who has bestowed upon Allah Ta'ala scriptural revelation, wisdom and nabuwa, in every single prophet and messenger could never say such a thing. Rather, instead, walakin, rather every single prophet and messenger, what it is that they would say, they would say, quote, Kunu Rabbani Yina Bima Kuntum to Allimun al Kitaba Wibima Kuntum Tadrusun, that you should be Rabbani Yi. You should be worshippers of the Rabb. Why? Because of all of the Kitab, the scriptural revelation that you've been teaching, and all of your studying. All of your teaching, your studying, your learning will lead you to this. So here Allah Subhanahu is specifically addressing the clergy of, of the Christians. That your learning, your religious learning should lead you to this conclusion that you can only and only worship the divine being, the one God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Wala ya'murakum Nor would any such person, any prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ever command you an tattakhidul malaikata when the biyina arbaba that you should ever take angels or prophets as your rubs. That you should take angels and prophets as yours. Because that would be disbelief. Would he ever order you to disbelieve? After you have submitted to Allah Ta'ala, when you accepted him as a prophet, means you submitted to Allah Ta'ala, you came on Iman, would he then thereafter ask you to commit an act of disbelief by committing shirk and taking angels and uh, prophets as arbab, as, as, as lords? All right. And the last verse I will do for tonight uh, is, and then inshallah from tomorrow night we will start the fourth juz, so the last verse, selected verse to complete our selected study of the third juz due to shortage of time. Verse number 85. That anyone who seeks and tries to adopt a deen other than al-Islam it will never, ever, ever, ever be accepted from them. And when Allah Ta'ala uses the word Al-Islam as opposed to just Islam or Taslim, so it doesn't mean just pure submission in the linguistic, in the lexical sense. It means the deen of Islam, the religion of Islam, Al-Islam. And so now that is the only deen and the only religion and the only path that is accepted by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Alright, so this ends our study of the third juz, inshallah ta'ala, from tomorrow we'll start the fourth juz. May Allah ta'ala give us tawfiq to understand the verses that we have selected for this series much better. And may Allah ta'ala give us tawfiq to understand all the other verses of Qur'an al-Kareem. And may give us tawfiq to live and practice Qur'an al-Kareem. Wa akhirat da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.